This is a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair on the Sportsnet Radio Network. City increase their Premier League leads as the red side of Manchester drops points yet again. Inter go top in Italy and Romelu Lukaku's impressive form continues. Bayern Munich, officially the best club in the world and only getting better. It's a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair here on the Sportsnet Radio Network and on your favorite podcatcher. We'd love it if you'd leave a review and also subscribe while you are there. Jeff, what's going on? Oh, another week in paradise. Another week in pandemic paradise here. <laughs> Except this one's got a lot of snow. And I don't want to hear any of you folks in BC talking about snow. Stop. <laughs> Just stop. I mean, come stop. on. Uh, We're the, looking the at snow in BC. Like one, one day of snow in Vancouver is like, uh, it's a disaster. You may as well shut the, down the whole city. The roads are like butter. You may as well. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, get yeah, out yeah, there. yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, it, by the time Tuesday's done, Hamilton's going to have had about 55 to 60 centimeters of snow in five days. So I'm not having it. Sorry. Sorry, BC. <laughs> Suck it up. Move on. Go skiing. At least you got hills to ski. Anyhow. Uh, all right. All right. That, when you put it that way, it's uh, it doesn't sound that bad over here uh, because it'll probably be gone in the next couple of days. I won't even see snow on the ground anymore. Uh, yes, it is a kick in the grass. Lots coming up on the show today. Derek Ray, uh, of course, a lead Bundesliga commentator. He'll be joining us. Borussia Dortmund have their new manager. Borussia Mönchengladbach are now looking for one as Marco Rosa is headed off to Dortmund from Gladbach and also Bayern sign uh, the defender that you were hoping for, Jeff. Oh. And uh, Dio Upamakano is headed to Bayern Munich from Red Bull Leipzig and I'll tell you, uh, watching the first few minutes of Manchester United and West Brom, it certainly looked as though uh, United uh, will definitely continue to be on the market for a center half in the summer. Yeah, I, I don't even know why. I mean, why do we talk about this? It's the same thing we've been talking about <laughs> since the show started. I, I, I mean, I don't even want to. Well, why doesn't mention, Woodward figure it out then? I, I'm not. I, I don't know. Maybe they need another 19-year-old or 17-year-old flash forward or flash winger. Maybe they could do that because they only have about 100 of them so far. Maybe bring in another sort of mediocre 19-year-old, 20-year-old left back. I mean, they only have about 12 of those. Look, it's... It's just, it's been this, I'm not even going to mention their names anymore. I'm just going to leave. I'm not mentioning their names anymore. I will not mention the names of you know who, you know who, and the guy who's always hurt anymore. <laughs> I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Sergio Ramos can't get there fast enough. That's all I'll say. Uh, That's how bad it is. That's yeah. how bad it is. I'm reduced to hoping for, you know, 78 year old Sergio Ramos. Well, think of it this way. Where would United be without Bruno Fernandes at least, you know? Uh, who continues to save them. And it's it's not better for my team, really. Juventus is, uh, they drop points on the weekend as well, losing to Gennaro Gattuso's Napoli and, you know, Inter now take top in the Serie A. So if you were to um, bet mm. which one of our teams has a better chance at, at the title, oh. uh, Juventus in Serie A or Manchester United coming back to top Manchester City? Oh, God, not even close, Juventus. Not even close. I, that's not even a discussion. I saw in a, uh, an article in The Sun uh, this morning, uh, a supercomputer predicts that uh, Manchester City will win the Premier League title. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Like, they just have about a 98% chance at this point as they just uh, keep on humming along. 
it's crazy how quickly this has gotten out of hand. It's a testament to how good Manchester City has been. And there's a lot of different conversations that come out of, of what happened with the Premier League this weekend. But, you know, one that we haven't focused on a ton, Jeff, is Leicester City and how good they've been. Now, Brendan Rodgers has really created a, an impressive project there. They beat Liverpool 3-1. They scored three goals in the space of six minutes on the weekend, which uh, led them to the victory. They're tied now with Manchester United. And we don't talk about them a lot. They've done a lot of good things. We all kind of thought they'd be one and done after the title a few years ago now, but here they are still competing for Champions League places and um, nobody's catching Manchester City at this point, but I'm just really impressed with what Leicester City has done. You have to be. Look, it's not just Jamie Vardy. It's not just James Madison. There's a surprising amount of depth to that club. Uh, I don't know the ins and outs of their finances, but I would argue that they have to be one of the best-run clubs in Europe to be kind of a mid-sized club, to survive the pandemic. And what I really think their hallmark is, and it's something, something I think has become more and more important in sports, is just stability. You know, if I think one of the sort of byproducts of the way analytics have taken over every sport is I think organizations, smart organizations, become to be a little less emotional in their decision-making, right? In other words, a bad run of games, well, it may not be on the coach. If there's something analytical that can explain that, you know, if you bring it to the coach's attention and he adjusts accordingly and corrections are made, I think owners and mid-level people are more likely to give a coach the benefit of the doubt. And I really think that's what we've seen with Brendan Rodgers. And, you know, I would argue that one of the revelations of this season has been James Justin. Now, in his first match out after tearing his ACL, they take on the defending champions, his first Premier League since he tore his ACL. This guy's been an ever-present for them. He's an important player at both ends of the pitch, and they don't miss a beat. There are teams with much higher payrolls than Leicester that wouldn't be able to offset that type of loss to the degree they have. I just think it's it's a remarkably run team. And in a lot of ways, look, that championship season was yeah, I mean, it was just great. It was it was stardust, it was magic dust, or pixie dust, whatever you want to call it. I think in a lot of ways, this year may be as impressive for me because of the quality of team they're chasing here. It's important to bring up the transfers and the efficiency of the transfers. When you look at how this team is competing against, you know, Manchester United and Chelsea and uh, to a certain extent, you know, City and Liverpool are kind of in their own tier. But how has Leicester become a more consistent squad than Arsenal, you know, and mm -hmm. Tottenham who clearly spend a lot more money? And it all comes down to the efficiency of their transfer. You know, Manchester yeah. United, you talked off the top about, you know, them going out and finding another flashy winger. And, you know, they spent all that money on Donny van de Beek and he can barely even get a minute on this squad right now. And it's Donny just... van de bench. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a recurring theme through all of the top squads in the Premier League. And meanwhile, you look at, at Leicester and sure, they spend... 
but they don't have a lot of misses, right? They replaced uh, N'Golo Kante with, it took him a while, but they got Ndidi and now he's that next one and he's going to be tough to hang on to, but man, has he been incredible at the, at the base of their midfield. Tielemans is, you know, he was long looked at as one of the best up and coming Belgian talents, but they got Mm -hmm. to him before anybody else did and developed him in the right way. And you just look throughout their squad. They've got so many stories like that. And, you know, this is the thing. Yes. um, You know, your wage and the amount of wages you pay to players generally is the best predictor for the premier league table, but Leicester city have found a way and with their system of bringing in players have found a way to overcome some of their limits with their budgets. And that is impressive. And it's as impressive as anywhere in the world, considering that they do it in England with some of the biggest budgets on the planet. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about it, but to me, the fact as I look back at all the moves Leicester have made since winning the premier league title. I think the call to move out Riyad Mahrez to take the $60 million for him, the right time to not play around with the market, get what you think is value for the player, take the money, and put it back into the squad, which is what they were very clear. That $60 million was spent. Not just at once, but that $60 million was kind of sprinkled throughout the squad. That, to me, more than anything else, that decision reflects... I think, the intelligence of Leicester City management. I think it goes beyond Brendan Rodgers. I think it goes to the people to the people above him. They really don't set a foot wrong for the most part, and you're right. The other thing about Leicester, they've always been fun to watch since they got back in the premiership. They're always fun to watch as well. They're, I mean, there are games that are like anybody else. There are games where you know, Vardy's not feeling it, and they can slog it out with other teams when they have to, but my goodness, when they get it going, they are really easy on the eye. You mentioned, you know, how they responded and rebounded to some of the sales that they had to make after the title win. And I I immediately thought of uh, Tottenham when you're talking about efficiency and Tottenham sells Gareth Bale in 2013. They put it back into the squad with Paulinho and Roberto Soldado, uh, Eric Lamella, I guess, who's still there. Uh, Christian Eriksen turned out well, but, you know, they had like four misses and, uh, you know, one decent hit in Lamella and one big hit in, in Christian Erickson. You know, that's with uh, over a $100 million kitty coming your way. So it really does come down to a lot of that efficiency. And Lester, it looks like, you know, barring some, some injury concerns, the way that they are going, I look at them as one of the teams that is going to the Champions League this year, Jeff. Oh, I, I agree completely. I, I'll put it this way. I think that if you look at the schedule and you look ahead and you ask yourself, all right, if that team keeps playing the way they've played for the past month or so. Do they get that spot? I think they do. Um, I really do. And I just, you know, it, again, it's going to be a great story. To me, it's, a, to, to me it, it, it's as much a story as winning the title. So one of the other things that's come out uh, today, Jeff, is that uh, with so much concern and turmoil around Tottenham in recent weeks, Jose Mourinho and and his Spurs squad losing 3-0 to Manchester City on the weekend and continuing to not look very inspiring while losing. Um, Mourinho and Tottenham, there's no way to break this clause (laughs) or this contract unless Tottenham just kind of pay through the nose and 
Mourinho is still getting one of the top wages in all the world when it comes to managers. Um, Mourinho and long-term now with things going south at Tottenham, it, I know I had some bold statements earlier in the year that I'd like to take back, but uh, this once you kind of get to that point with Mourinho where it feels like it's going south, it doesn't tend to rebound. It tends to only get worse from there on. Yeah, but, you know, generally there's a peak. And I fail to believe that that sort of glimpse we saw of Tottenham being up or near the top, that that's the peak for that team. I'm looking at this a little counterintuitively here. If I was Tottenham, unless there's somebody I really, really want out there, we talked about maybe Brendan Rodgers. First of all, if I'm Brendan Rodgers, I don't know if I leave Leicester for Tottenham, to be honest. But if I'm Tottenham right now, yeah, this is the bed you've made. I think you stick with you stick with Jose. The problem you have when you bring Jose in is it's kind of the post-Jose period because he does leave a lot in his wake when he when he leaves a team. You know, he makes some players better. You can look at Manchester United. There are players in Manchester United. Some of them are improved under Jose Mourinho. But there's always that year or 18 months where you kind of have to flush the system after Jose Mourinho. And if I'm Tottenham, you know, I'm not prepared to do that right now. I think I stick with them. You know, there's no fans in the stands, so you don't have, you're not going to have the crowd baying for, for Josie Mourinho. I let him play it out this year. I also truly believe that you need, especially in this day and age, you need to give the manager three or four transfer windows to try to get things right. But the thing I see with Tottenham that really confuses me, and Josie Mourinho is certainly not the only manager who's like this. We just talked about Donny Vandebeek. But this idea that you go out and get a Carlos Vinicius and whatever you may think of him, you've got him basically to provide backup for Harry Kane. Harry Kane gets hurt and you're reluctant to use him or you don't have confidence in him. I don't understand why you go out and add a player, unless you see something in training, unless the guy's a complete dog, why you go out and add a player and then just refuse to use him. And it's the same thing with Gareth Bale. Just give Gareth Bale two, two matches, 90 minutes. Give him the full run. Let's see what happens. Move him around a bit. I think for Tottenham to jump ship right now would uh, or, or push Jose over the side, I think would be would be counterproductive. I really do. So uh, we've got uh, lots coming up still. We're going to head over to Germany, talk to Derek Ray uh, in, a, in a couple of moments. But uh, quickly in, in Italy, Jeff, uh, as a Manchester United fan, as we talked about earlier, would you like to see Romelu Lukaku still, uh, still be a Red Devil or, or no. what? No, I'm happy. Listen... Who the hell knows how he'd be used? No, I, I have to tell you, I, I have no problem with what I see up front from Manchester United. I have no problem with Rashford. I have no problem with Greenwood. I've been stunned by Cavani. I admit I completely misread Cavani. I just thought he was going to be this kind of old, washed-up guy who was going to do much. Um, I, no, I, Romelu Lukaku, unless, he can, unless he's a center back, he's not having any impact one way or another in what Manchester United does. Uh, he had two goals and an assist this weekend for Inter as they beat up on Lazio and took top spot in the Serie A table. Lukaku is up to uh, 16 goals in 21 appearances for the Nerazzurri. And um, I heard Jurgen Klinsmann at ESPN FC say that he's a top five striker in the world, obviously behind Lewandowski and uh, 
Cristiano Ronaldo, but he is kind of in that conversation uh, behind, uh, I guess, the big three. Harry Kane would be be in there as well. You know, I I think Lukaku has kind of had a bad rap through his career. Uh, Mourinho gave up on him early at Chelsea. Things didn't get on at Manchester United the way that you would have expected him to. The one thing about him, I mean, his goal record is about as as solid as they come for a player in that position. And I think for an Antonio Conte squad, he is almost the perfect type because he's got the physicality, he's got the pace, he works well on the counterattack. And I think, yeah, he might be leading Inter to a title this year the way that he's playing. Well, they've got, let's see what happens next weekend. I think it's Sunday. Sunday they have yep. Milan. Let's see what happens there. Uh, I just... As our producer, Derek Brandeo, pointed out to us on uh, text, it was either Saturday or Sunday, there is a Conte explosion coming. And <laughs> I uh, I will say this. If I'm any team in Italy and Inter is the team I'm chasing for the top spot, I like my chances. I like my chances I, uh, getting the top spot away from them. I, I like hearing that from you because uh, if there's one team I don't want to see... Uh... <laughs> Like, I'd be okay with Milan beating uh, Juventus for the title this year um, and breaking the the run of nine in a row. But honestly, I just, I can't get, I become irrationally raged when thinking about Inter winning another Serie A title. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that. When, when um, did Milan become a quaint team? It's like, <laughs> but they are, aren't they? It's like every, people, I think people just want to see yeah. Zlatan win a title, I I, well, I think. It goes back to Leicester. You know, I appreciate when a team becomes really efficient with the way that they they go about yes. spending their dollars. And Milan had been so bad for so many years. You know, they went through the run of different ownerships with Berlusconi and everything else, and it's just been a disaster. Um, but finally, they've really put a lot of money into young players. I think Ibrahimovic came at the perfect time to be uh, just a big presence for a lot of their young players, bringing a more winning mentality. And we've seen it play out on the field. Uh, they had a tough mm-hmm. loss this weekend. But that Derby de la Madonina, it's the big, uh, it's the big match this upcoming weekend uh, across Europe with AC Milan and Inter. Uh, quick thought on the Champions League, Jeff, as we we get it back up and running here for the final sixteen. Uh, we've got PSG and Barcelona is probably the uh, highlight fixture going into the round of uh, of sixteen. It feels as though Bayern is the favorite, mm-hmm. though they've shown more leaks in the machine this year than they were. Uh, last season at this point uh, also Barcelona well not Barcelona sorry Manchester City though they always come up short in the Champions League the way that they are playing there's just not a lot of teams that are playing at a at a really consistent high level right now other than Manchester City really yeah and uh you know let's see how let's see what the fitness level is for Thomas Muller after positive COVID test um I still think Bayern's the favorite um, you know, and now the caveat I will add there is let's get through this match day. Let's see where Manchester City is after next weekend. I mean, if they're well in front uh, in the Premier League race, then I think the pendulum swings in their favor, especially since it looks as if they're getting Sergio Aguero back. So it looks as if that piece they haven't had all year, and that's just another remarkable story. If they get him back, um, I think they'll be well positioned to go on a run in the Champions League. But I, I'm looking forward to PSG and Barcelona. It's the first uh, first Champions League match for Maurizio Pochettino in charge of PSG. 
Neymar won't play, so that storyline has kind of gone by the wayside. But my goodness, I keep thinking of that Champions League. When was it? Was it uh, where they had the, the Magnificent? They were down 4 0, yeah. and Barcelona came back and won 6 1, and Neymar was just was, was spectacular. That was one of the most amazing turnarounds I've seen in a Champions League match. So I, that, that'll be the match that a lot of people focus on. But um, again, if Man City does the business this weekend and opens up even more of a gap atop the Premier League, I think they move into the driver's seat for the Champions League. Bayern Munich uh, begin their title defense against Lazio. Red Bull, Leipzig, and Liverpool, another one of the big-time matchups, and that will be played on uh, neutral ground in Budapest uh, due to... Uh, Several different travel restrictions, which will be something to monitor as uh, the Champions League continues here and uh, more lockdowns going on around Europe with the different COVID variants uh, causing concern once again. Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair, when we come back, Bayern Munich are going to sign Dio Upamakano, uh, another one poached from uh, their big rivals out of Red Bull Leipzig and Borussia Dortmund have their manager of the future. Derek Ray will join us next here on A Kick in the Grass. Back in on A Kick in the Grass, it's Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair. Big news out of Germany this morning. Uh, let's bring in our next guest to talk about it. Derek Ray, lead Bundesliga play-by-play -play at ESPN and the DFL World Feed voice of FIFA 21, one of the absolute best in the business. Uh, Derek, how are you? Very kind. Thanks for the introduction, Dan. I'm well, thanks. And it has been quite a busy old weekend in the world of the Bundesliga. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, we initially wanted to have you on to talk about Bayern poaching another big talent from one of their rivals. But uh, here we are Monday morning um, and big news as Gladbach announced that Marco Rose is uh, leaving in the offseason for Borussia Dortmund. Uh, your take on this breaking news? I'm not entirely surprised. I think it's been coming for a while. And certainly the news broke a few weeks ago that Marco Rose did indeed have a clause in his contract, which allowed him to leave Borussia Mönchengladbach this summer. And it was a matter of would he choose to exercise that clause? Would Dortmund see him as their coach of the future? Well, those questions have been answered, and I think it comes down to this. It's still seen in Germany as a step up, going from one Borussia to another. Now, you can argue this back and forth, because at the moment, Gladbach, while they haven't had the best of seasons domestically, still in the Champions League, they are going places as a club. Rosa has visibly improved them with this power style, so to speak, this power project, as it's been referred to. But there is the siren call of Borussia Dortmund, and they are really underperforming, and they are having a season to forget all about. At the moment, it doesn't look as though they're going to be in the Champions League next season. Still salvageable for them, but that may not happen. Um, but, you know, really, if you think about Borussia against Borussia, it's a competition on three fronts. Now, the first leg, if you like, of that competition was Rose, who was going to have him for next season. That has been answered now. Round one then goes to Dortmund, but we have rounds two and three. And what do I mean by that? Well, they meet in the German Cup at the quarterfinal stage just a couple of weeks from now. So that is really going to be turbocharged in the light of this news. And of course, there also is that battle for the Champions League. I mean, 
imagine this scenario. Gladbach somehow get into the Champions League under Marco Rose. Dortmund don't. But then Rose has got to coach Borussia Dortmund as a non-Champions League side next term while looking at his old club in the most prestigious competition in Europe. It would be something else that. Derek, what is what type of Dortmund club is Rosa joining? And how do you see him fitting in tactically with that team when you look at their personnel? Well, he's joining a club in some disarray, Jeff, at the moment. He's joining a club that is low on confidence. They decided to say goodbye to Lucien Favre a couple of months ago. But at the moment, Lucien Favre is actually looking quite good in comparison with what's happened under Edin Terzic, who was one of Favre's assistants. But unlike Favre, has a different personality, a bit more emotional. He's from the area, from the Dortmund area, grew up supporting the club. And the feeling was that this would be a move more in keeping with the roots of the club and that he could tap into that in a way that the the more distant um, Swiss coach, Lucien Favre, uh, was unable to do. Uh, At the moment, they just are sort of lurching from one game to another without a coherent plan. And, you know, they have this mixture of youth and some experience, but the problem is that the experience is not really delivering for them. You know, Marco Reus, the club captain, not getting a game. Mats Hummers, you know, who was one of their steadiest performers, hasn't been, I think it's fair to say, in the last couple of months under Edin Terzic. And so really they're relying on the young players coming through game after game. And it's all very well to say, yeah, give the ball to Erling Haaland and he will score goals. Yes, he usually does, but it takes more than one player to win a football match. And um, so this is the problem. The balance of the team is, is not right. Um, we don't see enough leaders at Borussia Dortmund, natural leaders within the squad. And they always seem to sort of try to think they can just outplay the opposition without the right matching tactical plan. We saw that against Hoffenheim at the weekend. I thought they were outplayed and outthought by Hoffenheim for most of that game. So this is what Rosa is coming up against. And here's the problem. If they don't get into the Champions League, that is going to have a significant impact on the budget and on what Marco Rosa can actually do. So he's going to have to be resourceful. I'm not saying that he won't be because I greatly admire the work he's done at Borussia Mönchengladbach. And so I think what will be important will be to to really impose a style on this Borussia Dortmund side. But that is going to mean, I think, players leaving and new players coming in to fit this new mold. You mentioned, you know, potentially missing out on the Champions League and what that might mean. I I guess the biggest concern would be, will you be able to keep some of the current players as well? Uh, Jaden Sancho, we know the transfer speculation has been surrounding him for a long while now, but is Erling Holland potentially uh, up for sale if they don't make it to the Champions League? I think that everyone really is on the table. Everything is on the table and certainly a transfer like that would have to be discussed. Um, Jaden Sancho, I think, in all likelihood, uh, is somebody who will not be around next season. Uh, it was a surprise to some that he was still around in this campaign. He played abysmally for the first few months of the season, uh, has improved since the turn of the year. I think he's been, actually been one of their better players in recent weeks. Um, Holland, they don't really want to sell straight away, but that would have to come under consideration. And I think it would be a similar story for Gio Reyna, you know, who's barely got going as a first-team player with Dortmund just over a year, really, when you look at his appearances, but has become an important member of the team. But he's somebody who I think they would have to look at as a player who who could be transferred. So that is one of the problems, and it's going to be fascinating to follow it. 
Derek, what separates Marco Rosa from the, uh, you know, sort of that treasure trove of very good, very young, very talented German coaching? Like when I think of Julian Nagelsmann and, and, and folks like that, how is he different from them? And how is he similar to them? Well, I think he has his own personality, which is a strong, authoritative personality. He comes across as somebody who um, is deeply ensconced in the minutia, but shows human qualities as well. You know, he's somebody who is not an aloof sort of coach who's looking on impassively. He's, some, he's somebody who's right in the thick of everything. And, you know, so maybe some comparisons with Nagelsmann there. He's older than Nagelsmann, uh, probably at the peak of his, his coaching years in his mid-40s. And, you know, somebody who commands respect and Gladbach made the right choice. It actually was a difficult choice for them when they went for him because Dieter Hecking hadn't been doing badly. But Max Ebal, who I regard as probably the best sporting executive among any uh, of the Bundesliga clubs and has been for a while, he recognized that there was a chance to get Rose, who he thought was, um, you know, a pretty exceptional coaching talent. He was available and wanted to transform the style. He wanted to go for this power project, and that meant a lot more you know, counter-pressing, uh, a, a lot more building the team around players like that, you know, who, who sort of combined this um, athletic style uh, with still being good on the ball. They have enough players who are good on the ball, but it certainly you know, was the right call to do that. Now, this season, as I said, they've had their struggles in the Bundesliga, and I'm not convinced the way things are going that they're going to be a Champions League side next season. The difference, of course, between them and Dortmund is that Borussia Dortmund plan to be in the Champions League. For Gladbach, yes, you know they hope to be in the Champions League, but it's not an absolute must for the team's business plan. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, when you consider what Rosa has done, um, you know, he was at Salzburg, had success there, but also prior to that, he'd come through that system coaching a succession of youth teams, learning the system in a good environment for him, I think. And, you know, he has that Jurgen Klopp connection as well, as so many do. And he was a big influence on him, you know, many years ago. So I think, um, you know, Rosa is somebody who we've all watched with interest. We've all seen his development, even just in a short space of time, relatively speaking, at Gladbach. And so he was always going to be the logical candidate for Dortmund. And it was a matter of whether or not he decided that that was in his future. What next for Gladbach in all this? They've built an impressive program. What's their next move? Well, the names that have immediately been linked with the Gladbach vacancy, as it is now, are, amongst others, Jesse Marsh, the American, who, of course, has been at Salzburg, succeeded Marco Rosa at Salzburg. So do Gladbach go to that well again? Uh, Florian Kohfeldt, another young coach of Werder Bremen, uh, who's actually been there for quite a long time in the grand scheme of things, four years or so now. Uh, well, not quite four, but getting on for four. Uh, but seen as somebody who you know has all the attributes to be a successful coach. And so he has to come into the reckoning for me. Adi Hütter of Eintracht Frankfurt is another one. Uh, for him, I'm just not sure why he would necessarily want to make that move, given where Frankfurt are at the moment. Although you could make a case for Gladbach as, as a slightly more attractive job, but is there much in it? I don't know. So that might be a difficult one. And then the other names that I've seen today, are Mark van Bommel, who is very keen to get back into uh, German football, uh, in this case, as a coach, Eric Ten Hag, but Gladbach have denied that there's contact there. Um, I, I think Marsh and Kohfeldt are particularly interesting. 
and uh, it remains to be seen, you know, what Max Ebal wants to do. Jesse Marsh, I think, would be an interesting choice, although there'd be a slight element of the gamble there because he's never been a head coach in Germany. Now, you might say the same thing about Marco Rose, uh, but I think for somebody who is not German and, you know, he's been at Salzburg and he has made his mark there, you know, make no mistake about that. For me, I think I would be happier with Marsh having a, um, to use the German word, a Zwischenstation. That means a, a stopover um, before he goes to, to one of the big traditional clubs. And I do think there'll be interest in Marsh from a number of German clubs this summer. It's a matter of where he'll land. It's kind of an interesting dichotomy, isn't it? Because the Bundesliga and German fans in particular have been so welcoming and so supportive of young American players, young Canadian players as well, for that matter. Um, you know, it, it seems to be a league where fans are quite, not just happy, but quite excited to see a very young talent come along and they sort of, the nationality doesn't matter. Uh, is that, do you think, a reflection maybe of the fact, Derek, though, that German coaching is, in, is held in such high esteem right now that there's almost that sort of nationalistic tinge to it? In other words, there's got to be somebody, one of us who's better than, than the American? I'm not sure, uh, to be honest about that. I think there is respect for outside influences. I think the difference in Germany is that I think there's a feeling that you have to have earned your stripes mm. and you probably have to have you know, done the, the hard yards, so to speak, somewhere down the divisions or somewhere else within a German language context. And I think this is why Jesse Marsh will be of interest because you know he decided to do it this way. He decided with help from the organization that he was working in, in the confines of MLS, he decided to go to Germany not to be a head coach, but to be part of the coaching setup at Leipzig. That same organization then decided to catapult him to Salzburg as a head coach. And so, you know, in that period of time, he has become a very proficient German speaker. And you might say, well, what, is, what has that got to do with anything? Why do you have to have to be proficient in the language? Um, I'm a firm believer that you really do have to have that if you want to understand the nuances of German culture. And there are many. And, you know, we've seen many a coach fail who has not got to grips with that, you know, has come in and thought, well, I can sort of get by with broken German and it'll be OK, but it's really OK. So I think it does come down to that. So Marsh does, you know, tick that box, so to speak. And, you know, let's not forget as well that um, there is already an American coaching in the Bundesliga in Peregrino Matarazzo of Stuttgart. That's now, true. he's... He's a fascinating one because um, American fans who I talk to don't necessarily recognize him as an American. Uh, but I always say his story is actually, in many respects, the sort of story most Americans would really respect if, if it were the other way around. You know, if it had been somebody arriving in America, because Matarazzo arrived in Germany with no connections at all, couldn't speak the language, played lower division football, worked his socks off on a coaching level to get to where he is now. And he effectively seems like a German because he's been there so long. But his first, you know, 20 plus years were spent in the USA. You know, that's where he's from. So Matarazzo is there and he does command respect. And I think Jesse Marsh would as well. As I say, the question for me is just whether Gladbach, who are a big traditional club, whether they see Jesse Marsh as the person who is ready for that job. And he might be, you know, he absolutely might be. Um, but to me, I can more visualize him slightly lower down the, the totem pole, you know, slightly lower down the Oberhaus of, of German football, but certainly working in the Bundesliga. And and um, it's going to be one that I'll, I'll be following with interest. 
the other big news over the weekend was with Bayern Munich and, you know, they take the club world cup, but uh, I, I guess the big coup of the weekend was them signing Dio Upamecano from Red Bull Leipzig as he was linked to pretty much every big club around Europe. And I know Derek, a, a lot of people kind of roll their eyes and say, Oh, look, there's Bayern Munich poaching another top talent from one of their rivals. Uh, I was quite interested to see that you don't quite see it that way when you were speaking about it on Twitter. Um, why is that? You know, why isn't this just another one of those stories where Bayern is taking the top talent and they're going to continue their reign over the German league? Well, I understand, first of all, why people might say that. I get why from the outside looking in, it appears, oh, here's Bayern, the Predators, just going after every player and taking every player and, and the other clubs just roll over. But it's much more complicated than that because you've got to take into account Leipzig's model and their model has been for the last few years. Young players, signing players at a young age, developing them, polishing them, selling them on, but already having the business plan in place to replace that said young player. So, you know, I mean, it was no surprise to anybody at Leipzig or anybody following German football that Upamecano had a clause in his contract allowing him to leave this summer. You know, that is part of the way it works. And it's not as though Leipzig said, oh, Bayern, please come and buy our player and you know, um, we'll take the money, we'll gratefully take the money. That was the player's decision. And I think he made a very smart decision for himself to go to Bayern for his career. You know, he's already in the German football world, so it's not a stretch to go to the biggest club in the land. And where I come from on this is that, you know, had Bayern not got Upamecano, let's say instead he had gone to an English club, and there were English clubs who were in for him, but let's say he'd gone to the Premier League instead. Bayern would have gone out and signed another top defender. That's the pulling power they have. So what difference does it make to Leipzig, you know, whether Upamecano is at Bayern or some other top defender is at Bayern? Their job is still the same, which is to replace Upamecano, which they believe they've already done by, well, the signing, first of all, of Josip Guardiol, who they'll have back. He's been away on loan. They'll have him back next season and closing in on Mohamed Simakon from Strasbourg. And again, Leipzig are polarizing. A lot of people don't like their business model, but I think you do have to tip your cap to the way they actually do it on the squad building front. And that is always to have a plan which has worked out you know, years in advance uh, of a player leaving, knowing that that is an inevitability. And it's a sustainable model. And it's actually what makes German football go around. I think people who, um, who criticize it, people who, do, who say, well, you know, everybody's just strengthening Bayern, I think they are looking at it from a very... Anglo-centric point of view, that they're thinking that the Bundesliga is the Premier League or, or should just be the Premier League, but it's not. And once you understand that, um, then I think you begin to look at it slightly differently. Derek, I understand this is a, a horribly hypothetical question, but I'm going to ask it anyhow. Um, do you think that if we were not in a pandemic, if we were in kind of a normal, if this was just normal times for football with normal revenues, Etc. Etc. Uh, normal schedule. Do you think Open Meccano goes to another league? In others, do you think somebody comes in and just blows Bayern's offer out of the water to get him? Well, it's entirely possible. But what I might also think is that uh, Bayern's offer might be even bigger. You know, because Bayern mm. can compete. They've demonstrated that they can. Uh, you know, people forget that not that long ago they paid more than eighty million euro for. Lucas Hernandez, who's barely getting a game for them, you know, so they have that kind of power as well. Um, I think it's a fair question. And I think that certainly the whole football world has been impacted by 
the coronavirus in terms of how much money they can pay, how much money they want to pay. Uh, you know, when Bayern signed Lehoi Zane, I heard a lot of voices in England uh, saying, you know, they got him at a bargain price in comparison with what they should have paid for him. But, you know, we, we are in a pandemic and times are different. I, I think with Upamecano, to be honest, that clause was there and it was probably always going to be exercised. And that is the way of the contractual world. We're in a moment right now where Real Madrid, Barcelona and uh, other top clubs are you know, struggling financially uh, on the field to certain levels as well, while Bayern just keeps the machine running and uh, maybe even getting better after this latest signing. Why has Bayern managed to uh, move through uh, different eras of their squad uh, so seamlessly, it feels like almost? I think they generally make good decisions. Um, I wouldn't say that every decision is a brilliant decision. I think, for example, they've come up a little bit short in the last year or so in terms of some of the fringe squad players. I'm not sure the squad is really as strong as it was even a year ago. Uh, I'm thinking about players like Mark Roca and Buna Saar, who have come in as backup players and don't really look as though they are Bayern standard at the moment anyway. But by and large, they, they hit the mark when it comes to their signings. They are in a privileged position, though, because um, the fact of the matter is that every German player, or let's say 90% of German players, would want to be at Bayern at some stage of his career. And the time when you really want to be at Bayern is during your peak years. So the other clubs are not getting these players in their peak years. They might get them when they're you know, 18 to 21, 22. But, uh, you know, somebody like Leon Goretzka, for example, he's gone to Bayern in his peak years. And that, I think, will forever be the case. You know, it's difficult when you grow up with this, um, with this sort of monster, and I mean that in a nice way, uh, in front of you. Uh, Bayern is a footballing monster, and it's impossible to ignore that. And if you set high standards for yourself as a player, then you want to go where you think you're going to have most success as a player. It's a short career. And, you know, unlike in, in England, you don't have these other clubs who are backed in some cases by very rich individuals or corporations from around the world. You don't have that in Germany. It's a different business model. And uh, you can argue the merits of one system over the other. But, you know, I can tell you most German fans are quite happy with the, the, the essence of the football in Germany and the fact that it's not England with regard to an oligarch coming in and buying a club and changing the face of it. So there are different social dynamics at play there as well. Uh, but I think that Bayern will always be in that privileged position of having choice because people will want to go there. And as I say, usually they get it right. I mean, I'm going to give Hazan Zalihamidzic a lot of credit. Uh, people doubted him uh, as the best choice for sporting director, but I think he's got most of the calls right. I think most of them have been spot on. And, and I don't think they have got it wrong with Upamecano, having watched him very closely. Uh, these last couple of years at Leipzig, I think they have got a player who um, is right for Bayern, is right for world football, and will only get better with these Bayern players around him. Do you still see Bayern as the uh, Champions League favorite as it gets back up and running again? Well, that's always difficult, isn't it? Because you never know just what's going to happen in the knockout phase of a, a Champions League. It was Jose Mourinho who many years ago said... Uh, yeah, you know, to win the Champions League, you've got to be really good, but you've also got to be really lucky. And I think that is part of it. It's not always the, the absolute best team that wins it. It can be. Um, I think they'll be in the conversation. You know, I, I certainly would imagine that they'll expect to get through against Lazio. And then, you know, we'll see what happens from there. 
Derek, uh, we always appreciate your time. Thank you for your insights today. Pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. There is Derek Ray. You can follow him on Twitter at RayCom. Coming up, injury time, and you don't know what you're doing to close out a kick in the grass. Final segment on a kick in the grass and a quick check-in on our Premier League fantasy this week. As, uh, well, I keep to I keep falling further and further down the table uh, as uh, the kick of the grass listeners uh, just continue to surprise. And we have South by SW6, Juan, with a big 89-point week and more to come as it is a double game week here in Premier League Fantasy. Shouts to Juan. Every week we shout out the leading scorer on a kick in the grass. PremierLeague.com, hit the Fantasy tab and join with the league code PPIBD6 uh, to try your hand at beating uh, Jeff because, uh, well, it, I mean, it's it's really not that big of a feat to uh, to have a better score than I in the Premier League Fantasy. Uh, all right, injury time. Quickly, the uh, She Believes Cup, a Canadian women's national team getting back together. Uh, our, our first look at what Bev Priestman has to offer, Jeff, and it's going to be a lot of new faces. Christine Sinclair out with injury. Uh, some of the players out of Europe uh, not being released by their clubs, including Kadisha Buchanan, last year's player of the year on the women's side. Um, this is going to be interesting uh, because I think a lot of these players are you know, really plan for spots, especially on the fringe for the uh, potential Olympics coming up this summer. This is a pretty prestigious tournament, and it would be great if, if Canada had you know their full full squad. But I think this kind of works to Bev Priestman's advantage in some ways. First of all, uh, there will be very there will be limited expectations on the team. Um, certainly, if anybody's looking for an excuse, if the team doesn't do well, you can point out that you know. Roughly eight starters. Eight of the starting 11 won't be there. So that's a pretty good start. But look, uh, it, it gives them a chance to take a look at, at younger players. Uh, they do have a 16-year-old. I don't know if she's going to play. Olivia Smith, that a lot of people like. She became the youngest player to represent Canada internationally, men's or women's. I think the age of 15 years and 89 days or something something disgustingly young <laughs> like that. So this is good. You know, this gives Bev Priestman a chance to uh, to see what she has. Uh, in terms of the bottom end or the, the lower end of the national team, I think we could probably sit here right now and list the starting 11. And to me, the big, you know, the big moment for Bev Priestman is going to be that, that trip to Europe and that match against England. I think we'll have a better idea then as to what this Canadian team is, is all about. You know, my concern is it's been such a long time since they've been in the pitch together that you would you would think that maybe cohesion cohesion would be helped by being in the She Believes Cup. But at the same time, look, Diana Matheson and, and Christine Sinclair, they've they've been through this before. They'll they'll make it work. Uh you can watch all the games for Canada starting Thursday against the US uh on one soccer uh as uh they'll be carrying the She Believes Cup uh for the upcoming weekend. Uh all right. Uh it's time for everybody's favorite segment here on a kick in the grass. You don't know what you're doing. Doesn't it just get you fired up every time you hear it? 
so good. I just I love it. I it's 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 like one of the highlights of my week. Uh, so he is uh, the, I, I mean, for me right now, you don't know what you're doing. It's been a tough year for Liverpool, but I've, I've got to call out Jurgen Klopp a little bit um, with the way things that have gone. And I know they, they haven't had a ton of center back help given all the injuries there, but you know what they've had to do, putting Fabinho back there and, and Jordan Henderson, it's just, it's completely changed the identity of the team and it, they continue to get exploited they don't win the ball higher up the field anymore it's too easy to get through the middle of their field and that's something that you really can't um overcome if you are uh if you are Jurgen Klopp right now and it's it's been brutal for him lately yeah it's the old story right do you weaken yourself in one position in order to attempt to strengthen the other I'm just a big believer that I'd rather replace one guy than have to replace two is the way I look at it and you know I I understand that you're you're not going to be able to replace Virgil van Dyke I get all that but I I think if you're if you're Jurgen Klopp you you go with what you have and you you pivot off that you don't start moving you don't start moving players around. Um, yeah, I just think I think Liverpool's. I just think Liverpool's hit a wall, frankly. And I'll tell you my pick for. Uh, and this is probably sacrilege, considering how much people love Mar- Marcelo Bielsa. But I mean, come on, he, he you basically gifted. You basically gifted Arsenal that match. You've got a, an yeah. Arsenal club that is not very consistent. You've got an Arsenal club that uh, you know is. It, its best player hasn't scored in, in a couple of months, it seems like. And what do you do? And I understand that Marcello Bielsa, there's this whole crazy professor vibe about him. But you end up basically taking, you take Ailing uh, and, and Shackleton. You basically take three players and you put them into unfamiliar roles. And it, to me, it, it's almost as if he didn't give Arsenal enough credit. That may sound a little counterintuitive. But I don't think he showed Arsenal enough respect. I absolutely believe that loss lies directly on him and the way he set that team up. And in the long run, you know, it's not going to matter. Leeds is going to do what Leeds is going to do, and Arsenal is going to do what Arsenal is going to do. But I I was really disappointed in, in that particular decision by Marcelo Bielsa. I didn't know Marcelo Bielsa would be the one to get Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang going this season, but uh, here, we, here we are. He scores the hat trick on the weekend. Uh, Jeff, uh, always a pleasure. Thank you, the listener, for listening as always here on A Kick in the Grass at Dan Richo underscore and at SN Jeff Blair on Twitter. If you want to send in a note for you don't know what you're doing or have a comment on the show, our DMs are open. You can get in touch anytime. Until next week, this has been another edition of A Kick in the Grass.